Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another special episode of My Feminine Heart. I am here with our sister of the month, Susan Holtz, who I had the pleasure of meeting and becoming friends with a year ago over Zoom uh, through COVID, which, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not used to making uh, friends with people online. Well, definitely not before Zoom and COVID became such a big part of our lives. And Susan and I, who have yet to meet in person, uh, because she lives in Chicago and is a, a, a beautiful hearted trans advocate in the big windy city. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've gotten to know her so well over the last year that I wanted to be able to share her story with everyone here through my feminine heart. So Susan, thank you so much for joining us and I cannot wait to chat with you today. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Cass. And you know, I, I'm really honored to be part of this, and it's great connecting with you any chance we get, but I appreciate you know, being on the platform. Oh, now, one of the things that um, Susan and I first connected with was um, all of our organizations kind of closing down uh, with COVID, and Susan had invited me to come and speak to CGS, the Chicago Gender Society. And um, from then, we've just been intertwined through so many different meetings and My Feminine Heart, and she's part of Yoga with My Girlfriends. And Susan, you know, when you and I had met, I had no idea at the time that you had only really been, you know, kind of out and about publicly for, what was that, a year? And you were already leadership with CGS. Yeah, at that time, it was just about exactly a year since I literally first stepping out of the house, you know, after all the years of knowing that this was part of me and just keeping it at home, uh, and then getting connected with CGS. And I, I really didn't imagine that I would be going into a path of leadership and joining the board so quickly. I mean, actually, I was thinking back, I was nominated for the board only three months after joining CGS. So it was a very unusual circumstance, but. The way I look at it is everything's meant to happen in a certain time and place, and it all just uh, fell together that way. And I've gotten so much personally out of that. One of the things um, that I, I love about your story is so many people that we connect with uh, through My Feminine Heart have you know, struggled for years, sometimes decades, with coming out, um, you know, with having any kind of time out of their home or out of their bedroom dressing or presenting as their authentic selves. And when so many people who are struggling, um, you know, in the closet at home, they see somebody like you, Susan, who is, you know, you're, you're public and you're out and you support CGS as a leader. I'm sure they look at you and think, my goodness, look how gorgeous she is. Look how confident she is. I bet she's been out for like 20 years. I bet she's been out for, you know, probably most of her life. And for you, we're kind of hitting like your two-year anniversary of coming out of the house. Yeah, and I might look a bit more confident and settled than I actually feel inside. And it still has uh, quite a bit of newness. But on the other hand, what I do appreciate is that it's quickly getting to be much more matter-of-fact and natural and, uh, you know, in terms of everyday things uh, that anybody would be doing, like going out shopping or uh, going out for dinner, you know, different, or, or seeing friends and developing deeper friendships, you know, in this persona, uh, it uh, is taking on, you know, just a naturalness that uh, I was really hoping for and didn't know how long that would take. But, you know, there was a, a lot of, I think probably a lot of intention on my part to try to move in that direction because I knew uh, quickly when I first was coming out that I wanted this to be something that would be become integral, integral in my life. And, you know, and not just, uh, not only being a member of CGS, but having it be you know, part of how I'm connecting to the world around me. So, you know, I, I'm gratified to see that happening very quickly. And Susan, I'm, I feel like I'm very specific in saying for you, coming out of the house 
because this isn't new for you. Susan isn't new for you, but Susan in public is. You have been married for how long and you've been out to your wife this whole time? Uh, right, we're married uh, just about 42 years now. And, um, and she knew, uh, I mean, I had to tell her when we were embarking on living together because we first were living together for a while before we got married. And knowing that we were that close and would be cohabitating and also knowing her spirit uh, of being so caring and loving and kind. Uh, I had never told anybody before her, but I had to tell her it was not something that I could keep as a secret. And I was 23 when we first met. And I guess I knew enough to know that this wasn't going to go away. It wasn't like I had some self-deception that this is something I could brush aside and get past. I, I knew enough by then that this was always going to be with me and I wouldn't be able to, to hide this if I was going to be really that close to somebody. Yeah, that, and wow, I mean, first of all, claps and congratulations on 42 years of marriage. You certainly don't look as though you're old enough to have been married for 42 years. And neither does Jean, too, and I want to make sure that gets mentioned. Yeah, we both actually get mistaken for a lot younger, and uh, it takes work to do that. Well, I know that healthy living is a big part of your lifestyle together, uh, and I definitely want to talk about that because that's significant to your life as Susan. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I hate to be, for anybody who's listening at home, I hate to put out there the labels, but just so that our people can connect to you and, and fully understand your story, not that you live under a label, how do you define Susan and how do you see your life right now? Yeah, and um, I wanna to try to be as clear as I can, but what makes most sense to me is um, describing things in a way that gets to know, gets people to know who you are. And I don't always feel like a label helps so much for getting to know the person and the individual. But the label I really most connect with is transgender in terms of that overall umbrella. And the reason I mention that is there's this basic uh, principle that ties really all transgender people together, which is this incongruence between our sense of self you know, and the uh, biological anatomy that we were born with. And you know, regardless of the label, we all have that. And we're all seeking some type of reconciliation, you know, to find peace with ourselves. We have different paths to get there. Uh, but, you know, and in terms of full-time versus part-time, I don't even think in those terms anymore because I am full-time being myself. And what you're seeing, this presentation is part of conveying to people, you know, my signal to people around me that, you know, this is how I wish to be perceived and regarded, you know, but I don't always appear this way. So, uh, and I know we'll get into more of this later, but I'm not on any type of medical intervention in my path. So if I don't make this effort in presenting as female, I'm just naturally gonna look like an ordinary man and regardless of how I feel inside. So I may be out in public going around uh, feeling just like I would if I was out right now, but in my male role, and people are gonna call me sir, you know, and it's a little bit jarring, I guess, when I'm getting so much more used to, you know, being regarded, you know, female in my encounters in public. Uh, but, you know, that's my presentation that's giving me a cue. So in terms of, you know, gender presentation, there's a split you know, I'm not 100% presenting this way. And there's the practicality of that, that I can't literally go to the upper of this every time I step out of the house. And I'm not going to look female unless I do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to do this. <laughs> um, so, but what I, what I love is for you and your home. And so when I say out of the house, you in your home, you would wake up on days and be your male self um, in presentation. And there are days that you would, you know, present as Susan. 
And this is when with the full support and comfort of your wife, the fluidity of going back and forth. Well, yeah, because uh, when, as I mentioned, when we first got together, I had to tell her right away. And this was the late 1970s at that time. So I didn't have a good way of describing what this even is. I mean, the terms transgender and all the materials that we have available now just weren't there. So it was difficult even saying it. And I, it was almost ludicrous, my efforts to try to tell her what was going on and the stress of, you know, with her being the first person I ever told. So it took quite a while for me to even get the words out. And she didn't understand really what I was talking about at first. And I think it was that same night that what helped her was she wanted to see it for herself and not just see my presentation, but see the transformation of me doing it. And I didn't have everything, like I, it wasn't as complete as what I do now, but it was my version of that then. And when she saw it, she understood uh, pretty much right away that she could see that it was the same person that she fell in love with. And it was just the characteristic of the many aspects of who I am. So it, to her, it was not contradicting really her, her image of me. You know, and I think that was a big part of what helped her accept it so readily. But then the other thing was, she just had an impulse to come to my aid and be supportive. I mean, that's her nature in general, not just with me, but she's just a very supportive person. And the main thing she saw, regardless of what the issue is, is here's somebody who's in pain, who's struggling and suffering over something. And it was her impulse to just come to my help any way she could. So it's not like a lot of people I know now, you know, as I've come out and I've met so many people in the community, I've learned that there's many different levels of acceptance. It's not just either you're accepted or not. You know, so for example, I know people whose wives know and accept in a certain sense, but they never want to see it. You know, it's like they can know about it, but you know, I don't ever want to see you that way. I mean, it was not, it was never like that with us. It was it just became quickly a matter of fact type of thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't real frequent then. And if I did dress up, it was for relatively short periods of time. Uh, and it wasn't anything that she would be directly involved in, but seeing me that way was, you know, was a normal occurrence. And now if I ask her questions about it, it's hard for her to even be objective, she says, because she's known so long and has seen me this way so much that, you know, so like in a way, if I'm asking her opinion about something, you know, it's hard for her to even, you know, look at me with a fresh eye because she's just so used to, you know, this being one of the, uh, the ways that she sees me. But, you know, because of all that, I had a very, obviously a supportive haven right here that I could be at home and truly be myself. And I felt for so many years that that was all I needed that again we're talking about many years ago and the attitudes of society back then I just didn't feel that there was any thought it wasn't even a matter of thinking about it it was just an assumption in my mind that there's no place for me to be this way out in the world this is something private something that I do at home and uh, you know there was an element of you know comfort and stress relief that I had from it also. I didn't connect it with identity at that time. It was something that I did that gave me a certain gratification, but it wasn't you know, thinking of identity the way we think of it now. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I really like is when you've talked to me about you know, who you are as a person, you're still the same person whichever way you present. And that's how your wife sees you as just the person who you are, no matter how you're dressing. Yeah, and I think it would be difficult for her if it wasn't that way. I mean, that's her way of seeing it. And it's my way of, of approaching my own version of authenticity, that for me to be authentic, and I'm still working on it, but to be authentic, I really need to be the same person either way and bring these elements of, of myself out to people, regardless of what the visual presentation is. So to whatever extent there's a feminine sensibility there, 
uh, that should be present uh, and perceived on some level. It may not, it may not be a conscious thing. It might be subliminal in some relationships, but you know, I want people to see me as being genuine and authentic either way. And the only way I could feel that this is successful in terms of me being able to go out and be accepted, you know, in my mind is that people would see this as a genuine, uh, a genuine expression of myself. It's nothing contrary to see me this way or clashing with whatever male aspect there would be. It should be something that seems to be seamless as an expression of who I really am. And that's what I find. I mean, I do find that I get a lot of, a lot of positive reinforcement just in my connection to the world, you know, people that I meet in passing or the friendships that I've developed or the contacts that I've developed across the country now. You know, this is a persona that I'm operating in and I'm you know, operating effectively this way and I'm taken seriously in times when I need to be and I'm, you know, taken as uh, someone who's being true to themselves. I mean, that's what I'm trying to have be understood. And for you, so you had lived in your marriage for 40 years, just in your home. What happened two years ago that you're like, I need to get out of the house? What was that trans? Because to me, that's almost, that's like the most interesting part of the transformation because you've been so comfortable for so long. You had this beautiful safe haven. What drove you out of the house? Yeah, and for me to understand it, and you know, I had several months in therapy when I first was coming to terms with this. And I think I've worked a lot of that out in my head uh, because I think one thing a lot of people would like to know, I, what I would like to know if I was watching this interview is what took that person so long, you know, and so it is something I'd like to get across. Uh, but as I said, I never had a thought of it really. And it wasn't, but there was a lot of fear of discovery. And I was really, I had so many years of being obsessively secretive about it almost like it's uh, laughable now when I think about the extent that I went through. So to give you an example in the past, you know, we live in a, on a corner house and you know, so there's a lot of exposure of our windows. And in any of the time that I was spent dressed and it got to be you know, more time where like if I was working from home, I might have the full workday be dressed as what became Susan. But I, I was so overly careful about like any window of the house I would walk past out of fear that somebody outside would see me. And, you know, and Jean would be saying, well, they're just going to think it's a woman who's here. I mean, how could you, but, you know, I couldn't get past that worry of, uh, to such an extreme extent, extent of being discovered. And if there was anything that we had any uh, difficulty over is I was, you know, closing the blinds all over the house. And then if I'm spending a lot of time like that, then, you know, Jane's having to live in darkness, you know. So, I mean, she loves the sunshine. And I knew that's not right, that I would be doing anything that's affecting her. So we worked out a way that we could open, you know, the uh, curtains and blinds. And I just knew like where I could go, where I'm not gonna be exposed. And, you know, so that's the extent of that. But the other thing is- Wait, Susan, that sounds exhausting. I, I picture you as like a ninja going through your home. Yeah, well, actually, it's an example of so much more. And exhausting is really the right word. There was so much energy being expended in protecting myself and being guarded and you know, distanced and uh, detached in a way that spilled over you know, by having the secret that I felt like I had to hang on to. Uh, and Jean, of course, honored the... Uh, secret in terms of her not sharing it with anybody, but she really knew I was going way overboard being that worried about it. And, uh, but um, in terms of what happened, I, I have to go back you know, from two years ago, back about 20 years where I was starting to have those impulses that being locked within the house was sort of like being imprisoned in a way. It's like you know, being under a house arrest for this part of my soul. And I couldn't really put a finger on it, but more and more I would have these thoughts that I wanted to get outside the boundaries of the house and go out. But I had 
no idea why that was, for one thing. I just had the feelings coming up. And it would get to be more and more. And, um, you know, and I didn't believe it was possible. You know, I, and I have kind of a, a metaphor to describe that. It was kind of like if you're on a high floor in a skyscraper, and you might have a fantasy of stepping out the window and like floating through the air. I mean, anyone might have a fantasy like that, but you know that it's not something that you could really do, so you put it aside. And that was the way I looked at this. You know, it's not doable. I mean, so I wouldn't dwell on whether I could or not. Of course, I can't do that. And over those years, of course, we see other trans people that are out in public living their true lives. And I would just think, well, yeah, that's them, and they can do that. That doesn't apply to me. I really can't possibly do that. So I wouldn't even think about it. But the feelings got to be more and more over the years. And I do think there was a catalyst uh, two years ago when uh, Gene and I lost uh, one of our closest friends who we each individually had had this uh, friendship with somebody who, uh, like over 40 years, I mean, Gene had gone to high school with him and I had met him. Uh, back during my uh, music career, we had worked together. So we knew him individually and then as a couple. And he was really one of the most special people that we've ever known and, and was in our lives. And he uh, got a case of cancer that seemed so uh, minor at first, but then it just spiraled out of control to everybody's shock. You know, and we were close with him right to the end and saw this rapid decline and lost him. And, and that loss uh, just had such a powerful effect on both of us. And of course, that type of thing, and at this age, it gets you thinking about issues of mortality and all that. But more than that, I was thinking, I can't keep wasting time. You know, anything that I need to do in my life, I can't let these years keep slipping by and brush this aside. And I knew the time has come, I've got to face this. I didn't see it for what it was though, but what I thought then is, I mean, backing up, uh, the sense of shame that a lot of people talk about, about you know, having uh, this identity issue, I had gotten over that like 35 years ago. I didn't have any shame about this. What I had, it turned into a shame over the fear that I felt like fear was controlling me and I was giving into that. And I actually had a sense of shame about that that was building up. And I thought, well, I can't let that continue to control me. I've got to face my fear is so great about being out and being seen. I, I will need to just do that. Uh, so I started looking online into uh, services for a makeover. And, uh, and I had a makeover like 30 years before that, but totally in a private setting. It was in somebody's home where you would be assured of, you know, of, uh, you know, of confidentiality. What I found that was really intriguing to me was the opportunity to do this in a public uh, retail setting, you know, with somebody in the community who, you know, who serves the, the trans community for, you know, makeovers, clothes and all that with wigs. But it's not just for trans people. It's a shop that caters to women across the board. And particularly they have a big business for, uh, you know, chemo patients, women who've lost hair and need wigs or hair pieces. So I knew if I went there, I will be having this makeover in a public uh, retail setting with other customers coming and going. And I was really intrigued by that because uh, I called the shop right away. And already I was doing something that I never would do, which is looking up something like that and immediately picking up the phone. You're not spending uh, like a couple days thinking about it. What am I going to say? Should I do this or not? I had the impulse to call immediately without even knowing what I was going to say. And uh, the owner of the shop is, uh, is Rory. She's like a, a fixture in the trans community here in Chicago, it seems like every trans person's path has passed you know, by Rory. I mean, she's revered here in Chicago, but I didn't know anything about her or CGS or any of the organizations. I was coming in completely in the dark about this and I just found her on the internet. I called up, uh, Rory answered and we were talking on the phone and uh, 
she was so reassuring. Uh, but the nature of the service is I would come there in male mode. I, I had the option of either bringing my own clothes or shopping for clothes there, having the makeover and then leaving the shop as a woman. So I thought, well, that is really scary. Uh, and I'll be out there like 18 miles from home and, you know, have never been out of the house, you know, presenting that way. But I was so intrigued by the idea of being in that setting uh, and in public, but, you know, just terrified at the same time. So I made an appointment to come in. I, I made sure with Rory that if I chickened out and couldn't leave that way, that they had facilities where I could change back if I had to. And she promised, you know, yes, that is possible, but you're not going to want to once you see yourself. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so I went ahead. I, uh, the night before the appointment, I literally did not get one minute of sleep. And I mean that literally. I was so terrified about being there. I mean, knowing that the uh, people at the shop, you know, the, uh, her staff would be completely supportive, but I was more worried about myself and my own reaction. I'm thinking, huh, I'm gonna freeze up or what if I have a heart attack? Uh, you know, am I possibly going to enjoy this at all? You know, and I was practically sick with, with that fear, but I had no thought of canceling it because I knew that if I don't do this, I'm just gonna to have to reschedule and I'll have to go through all this over again because I knew I had to do it. Uh, so I went in and uh, first I walk in and Rory and her uh, associate who was going to do the makeover standing right there near the door, welcoming me in. And they've got these beaming smiles. When I first walk in, it was the most welcoming atmosphere. And they did, and I was immediately at ease somehow in their presence. You know, they made me very comfortable. Uh, we're going through the process of the makeover and customers are coming in and out. People are glancing over uh, and there's no reaction. I and mean, people are looking at what's happening just like you would if you're in a store and seeing somebody having a makeover. So I'm taking all this in and I'm very sensitive to any reaction that anybody has, but you know, it was none of the, uh, the things I was worried about. But what really hit me though, is when the makeover was done, and I was fully done up, then I just found that something in me just opened up and I'm doing things I never would ordinarily do in my male mode, which is you know, interacting freely with customers and the staff. Yeah, I was just opening up and you know, getting into casual conversations and really connecting with people. So I wasn't leaving right away, but I was staying there shopping around and talking to people. And, and I had no sleep at all, but I was completely energized by all this. So I knew, I knew immediately while I was there that this is completely different than what I thought. This wasn't a case of you know, facing my fear and overcoming it. It was really discovering that something much bigger, something profound was happening that I had no idea about. And everything since then has kind of confirmed it, which is by getting out and having these experiences, I realized what was missing all along was this connection to the world. So all those years at home, it was me seeing myself and the uh, kind of limited fleeting gratification of seeing myself in that image. But now uh, seeing myself in connection to the world around me and the connection to people and the interaction in that persona made me realize that that's really what was missing and and that's when I knew I was trans because it was clear to me that this is something with my identity and how I'm needing to connect to the world around me. It became an essential part of myself very quickly that uh, this is how I need to connect, you know, to uh, you know, to my community and to my world, and not just the the segregated trans community, but you know, to the the world around me to you know, the mainstream and being out, you know, just doing casual things on my own too. So it was the kind of awakening that I could only have by having the experience. There was nothing that I could analyze or read about before that that would prepare me for that. I had to have the experience to be confronted with that. I love that. You know, as a 
photographer I would see at at Keystone and conferences when I would photograph somebody who was at a conference and out for the first time who would come in so nervous for their first photo shoot and then I would be able to watch them kind of you know blossom over the days to the point where like in two or three days at a conference they're the bell of the ball um there is nothing like the experience of not just being dressed but being being out uh i feel like if you're concerned like i i can see you being all in your head in your house and just so consumed with you because there's literally no other stimuli for you but then you go out into the world where you're not even just out in the world you're in a salon which anybody you know if you ever walked into like a woman's salon it's just a buzz with so much happening You've got hair dryers and stylists and customers coming in and out and, you know, people walking by. Um, that energy is, it's something, it's something special that you're right. Like you can't describe what that's like until you're in it. Um, so I love, you know, it's like you and I have talked about, there are so many people and we've had them on the show say that they never believed they were trans until they had their first makeover and then they saw her in the mirror. But for you, you were already doing your makeup beautifully. I mean, you said your wife was like, why are you getting your makeup done? You know how to do your makeup, it's beautiful. It wasn't about being made up, it was about the experience of having it done in public. Right, and also it was the envy that I always had because if I was in a department store and walking through those sections and seeing women having makeovers in those settings, I always wished that I could have that experience. But it was another one of those things where I would put it aside and think, well, yeah, it's a nice wish, but that could never happen. But that was what I was looking for was I finally wanted to have that experience. You know, and also by having it professionally done, I knew there would be a few things I could learn too, but it was mainly to be in that setting, uh, and as I said, you know, facing the fear, uh, but seeing that there was so much more to it than that. Now, one thing people seem sometimes ask me about this is, well, you weren't really totally secretive because your wife had known all. So I always had that person to, uh, you know, interact with. But I, I sort of passed that off. That you know, Jean is this exception. I mean, she knows me in a way that no one else ever will or could possibly know me to that extent. And she accepts me in a way that no one else could. So I had a way of sort of discounting that. And however much, however much support she gave me, I thought, well, that doesn't mean anybody else could possibly tolerate this. You know, I knew I could count on her, but you know, she's like the only person in the world that could look at me this way, you know, and find this acceptable. So that was my mindset, you know, all that time. But I, I think that the era that we are in right now, the era of COVID and what like, you know, 16, 17 months out of, you know, having been quarantined and you and I met in this quarantine, I think that people never realized before collectively, I think a lot of us, I don't, you know, I can't speak to every person, but I know I took it for granted. We don't realize how much we need other people and these social experiences of being out. And I, I mean, I, I love to be in my home. I work from home. I love to be with my husband. I just, you know, they're like, I mean, I, I'm always like, no, I don't, I, I'm that adult. I don't want to go out. I don't want to make plans. I don't want to go to the party. Um, but then you realize when you're not doing any of it, how much you need that. And even the little interactions of going to the grocery store, or going shopping or, you know, talk because you, you are in the salon and then you're talking to everybody you're having conversations, you're having, like, it, it just brings so much out of you that we need as people. So, you know, having this conversation this far into COVID, into 2021, I hope that there are people listening that can feel that parallel, where now we're all collectively aware of what it's like to be locked down and to then need to be out that if they're, they themselves are also locking themselves down, even if they have the support of their spouses, being trapped at home can be diminishing and can add stress. And look at how far you've come so quickly um, in your comfort and confidence as Susan 
from that first experience, I mean, from there, did you, did you just come home and make a list of all the things that you wanted to do? How soon did you go to CGS? What was the next stepping stone? Yeah, it's funny. Well, first of all, I had no planning ahead at all. I mean, everything has, and actually from then until now, it's not like I had some type of predetermined path, but I had found what works best for me is staying in the moment and taking things as they come and uh, not really uh, having much focus on goals or some type of uh, milestones along the way. And that has worked for me. Uh, but when I look back and I knew we would be talking about this, so I was verifying some of the dates and I find it kind of amazing how quickly things happen because I had that makeover. Uh, the next thing I did was I went back to the shop uh, about two weeks later, uh, not for another makeover, but I went there fully done up at home and went out uh, as Susan there and uh, did some shopping and, uh, and they were so helpful there. I walked in, I didn't have an, another makeover schedule, but uh, Rory's son uh, was there who's like a master of, uh, uh, he's passed away since then, unfortunately, but uh, he's another person that's been, had been so big in the community and uh, so helpful in the uh, makeovers that, that he had been providing to people. Uh, and he was giving me all these uh, tips on questions that I was asking about and spent all this time with me and I did some additional shopping. And then I found out about a, a social that was coming up that Rory puts on. See, CGS has monthly socials and you know about the uh, Chi uh, chapter, you know, they have their social activities. Well, Rory has her own too. And every month there's a, a public uh, social at this piano bar near where uh, their shop is. And it's not, you know, just a, a trans bar or gay bar, but it's, you know, the, the mainstream, you know, goes there. And, and you know, once a month uh, she has a social there. And I was invited to go to their next one that would be coming up. So I, that was only about a week later then and being the first uh, you know, social activity that I would be stepping out to, uh, Gene came with me for that. I think to give me some moral support and, uh, and credit. I think she wanted to see what kind of situation I was you know, getting into. Uh, but, uh, but that was the first experience at a social. Then I think only a week after that, uh, CGS had their monthly social and I wasn't a member or knew anything about CGS, but I went to that first uh, social then. I met Audrey and you know a lot of different people then. And uh, I was invited to uh, their monthly meeting, the CGS meeting as a guest. Uh, came to that and met a lot of other people, obviously. And one of my best friends now, I met for the first time at that first CGS meeting. Uh, her name is uh, Katie Thomas. I have to give her a shout out because she's been really such an important uh, you know, advocate in the community here in Chicago. She was a former president of CGS uh, years ago. So I met Katie at the bar at, at the, uh, me the meeting has a, a private bar in the setting. So I stepped up to uh, get a glass of wine. Katie was there, I didn't know who she was. And we got into talking an entire hour plus goes by with the two of us just talking and talking. And, and then uh, we stayed in contact. She immediately invited me into a regular lunch group that she has with uh, these, uh, a group of ladies who aren't even part of CGS, but they meet every week. It's a standing uh, lunch date of whoever's available of this half dozen group of great friends. And uh, they go around to different uh, settings every week. It's not, I mean, these are people with the exception of me have been out as trans for like 20 or 30 years. I mean, they are so polished and are way past any of this. And it was almost amusing to them to see somebody like me who was just coming in because, you know, most of them are kind of in my age group, but I was only just coming out. And, and uh, but, you know, we have lunch and it's, like three hours every week. And the subject 
of transgender usually doesn't even come up. It's just such a casual group of ladies and we're welcomed wherever we go. You know, we have these great experiences out. And, and one thing Katie told me right when I first met her, she probably wouldn't even remember, but just in passing, she said that if you really want to, uh, you know, to get settled into this, the best thing to do is just get out on your own and uh, you'll build confidence that way. And, you know, rather than just uh, having the safety net of the group around you. So I really took that to heart. And uh, almost immediately right then, I mean, separate from that, I started therapy because I knew I had a lot to work out in my head because like I mentioned before, uh, there was so much about the sense of connection I was having uh, and leaving that sense of detachment and separation behind and that something was opening up. I've got to figure out what all this is. I, don't, I wasn't really convinced that I was trans, but I need some professional help to really put this to the test and do some self-examination. Uh, so I started my therapy sessions and I made a project in a way out of each one that every time I went to my session, I would always go as Susan, I would combine in different errands that would be part of my outing. So every week I would have a reason to not only get out for my session, but to be out at the store while uh, getting pet supplies. You know, and all stops at the hardware store. I mean, it was all mundane type things, but just by myself and to be out in the regular world, just doing day-to-day -day activities. And then when I look back, I'm thinking, how did I know, you know, right from the very beginning that that even mattered? You know, that somehow it was important that I could do these kind of day-to-day -day things in this role, because what that tells you is that I had some type of knowledge that this is going to become part of my regular life. You know, but there was nothing that would indicate that that was the path that I was on, but there was something in me that was telling me I need to prepare for that without having it all worked out in my head yet. Uh, so then going forward a little bit more, I'm only with CGS uh, about three months and Audrey asked, Audrey's the president uh, currently of CGS and asked me to be part of a panel to speak to a group, uh, an event for transgender uh, awareness that was being held at her church. And they, and this was being publicized you know, in the community. So people outside their church would be attending. She asked me and I immediately agreed, agreed to be part of it. And I could hardly believe that I was hearing myself respond that quickly because I was not somebody who was ever comfortable with public speaking. Uh, I had to do it a bit in my career, but it was only because my job required, required it, but it was not something where you would all, ever talk about anything of a personal nature. So the idea that I would be going there uh, dressed as a woman and speaking in front of an audience that was like over a hundred people and talking about the most intimate aspects of my personal life, I couldn't imagine agreeing to do that, but I agreed instantly. And I was entirely comfortable doing it when the time came. You know, so it was clear that this was bringing something out of me, you know, that I really couldn't anticipate. And seeing that I had certain capabilities that weren't coming to life unless I would, you know, eliminate, you know, all those constraints that I put on myself and just giving myself the freedom to be myself just opened up a lot of doors. And I don't mean doors of opportunity, but the doors inside of us to really discover our capabilities. I was really squelching down so much of that for so long. Susan, you know, when, when you were asked to be a part of that panel, is that something that you think you would have even been approached for with how you presented your aura? Um, in male mode? And is that something that you would have jumped on in male mode? Or is this not just bringing Susan out farther, but your whole soul and being out further? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not the type of thing that my image in male mode ever would have indicated that someone would even approach me to do that. I mean, I think I put off a vibe all those years that I'm not somebody who does that. I'm not someone who, uh, I mean, I was always respected in my career of having the particular talents 
that I had, but that was not one of them. And, uh, you know, uh, and I would do anything I could to avoid a situation like that back then. And I progressed in my career where I had enough latitude to delegate things like that so that I wouldn't have to do it myself. So these were not capabilities that were you know, nurtured or cultivated at all. It was something that I would decidedly avoid you know, being in that situation. That's why just pulling myself outside of me, you know, seeing myself you know, agree to do it readily without hesitation and then have that comfort level when I was actually doing it, it was, I kept surprising myself that way. Uh, the same thing when you first uh, asked me to be on Trans Tuesday a year ago. I mean, I didn't imagine you would ever even ask me to do that. You know, by the nature of our connection, I didn't see myself doing that. But it was another thing where I agreed right away because the way I remember it is um, you needed a last-minute replacement. So it was only a couple days before that episode, and. Uh, you know, and I, I just, the only thing I asked you was what type of reach, you know, this broadcast would have. And you assured me that there was really no limits on whoever could see it. It was going to be on the open internet. And so I heard that and I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and do it anyway. So, so I'm not sure why I even asked you, but, but I was intrigued and I kept, I find myself keep, uh, continue to say yes to all these things. You know, yeah, no, you're you're right. I don't remember now. Somebody had an one of my guests had an emergency or something that came up, and you filled in at the last minute. You and Audrey, um, which was so sweet of her to 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 join you. I love that. I love everything that you are sharing. So, you know, friends, friends, a support group, socials. You know, people can pull so much out of you. And then just saying, yes, I love that, you know, you've discovered this part of yourself into retirement. You know, you're a phase in your life where you think there is probably no more self-discovery. And there's like all these new beautiful parts of you that are coming out into the world. Yeah. And uh, right when I first started therapy, I was, um, you know, journaling quite a bit. And, uh, and I really went into it with uh, a lot of gusto of you know, this opportunity for self-exploration, you know, so I was taking notes every day of different thoughts I was having and what I want to dig into. And I had set a number of uh, objectives that I had. And, uh, you know, one of the key ones was, you know, not only the aspects of finding my authenticity and, you know, the total honesty that would need to be part of that and the self-awareness that I would need to have and looking out for any type of self-deception. There was all that, but there was also the, the objective of finding a sense of reality with this role so that, you know, Susan could be brought to life in a way that has meaning and purpose. And I had no idea about getting into uh, the activity of being on the board with CGS. I didn't have any objectives specifically like that. But I knew that I wanted this to be a fully fleshed out person who actually would have a, a connection of um, you know, a connection of activities in the world. So having the opportunity to have roles and responsibilities and a purpose where I can serve the community, you know, the main thing with that is I, I'm driven to try to give back you know, for all that I've gotten. But the other thing is the sense of gratification I get, you know, by by awakening these, uh, you know, these capabilities and finding ways that I can contribute and and also using skills and experience that I had from my career and bringing that to life now. So, um, and just like you talk about with a number of your guests on the show about looking back at their past selves, and some people want to try to downplay who they were before they transitioned. But to me, I try to bring the past and present together as uh, just one overall continuum. And the experiences that I had before, if I could bring those to a purpose now and actually use those capabilities, which I didn't plan on again, but it just seems to work out that it's happening, then it makes everything make sense to me that 
my whole path was inevitably going toward this. And I can't have any regret that I didn't discover it earlier because by having it go exactly the way it has, it's worked out so well. Why would I change any of that? And it just seems like the time and place was meant to be and, and it's falling into place because it was the right way for me for this to happen. Well, and I'm so excited for you to come onto the show next week because we're going to talk a lot about CGS. Um, you know, one of the themes of my feminine heart that I try to hit as many times as possible is if you feel stuck, if you feel lost, if you feel alone, get out and give, volunteer, be, be sign up for something bigger if you can. Um, so I'm so excited, and especially for anybody in the, in the Chicago area, but uh, just so people know, the CGS meets on Tuesday nights. And are you back in person or is it Zoom or hybrid? So that if there's people, because I know when you were completely on Zoom this past year, you had people from all over who are participating in your meetings. They don't have to specifically be a Chicago resident, right? Right. And that's one of the things we got out of uh, COVID really was uh, stretching outside the, uh, the local boundaries because it really was, uh, I mean, we had members before who had relocated and they would continue to be connected and they would get the Primrose uh, monthly, you know, our monthly publication. But, but Zoom opened up the ability to uh, provide uh, some level of our connectedness across the country and, uh, and also the opportunity to have presenters like you and Lindsay who could be uh, geographically distanced, but be part of what we're doing. So we wanna to continue to take advantage of that. And you know, we wanna have the objective of growing the membership to have meaning and value to people that aren't necessarily you know, here in the Chicago area. Uh, but the people here, I mean, we're really blessed with all the support uh, that we have in the Chicago area because there's our organization. Like you mentioned, we meet uh, the second Tuesday of every month. Our, our monthly social is the fourth Tuesday and we have other special events on a regular basis uh, for people to connect and get out in public. But there's also Chi Chapter, which in, is in the uh, Southwest suburban uh, part of the Metro area. There's a trans group on the far South side that has a weekly social. So, I mean, we are so fortunate that wherever you are uh, in the metro area, there's some group like nearby you and, you know, different days of the week or different days of the month. I mean, if you are wanting enough social activity, there's probably things going on about four or five nights of the week to jump into if you're willing to drive around for it. And I just feel bad for a lot of people in other areas. And I know we have some of that in the uh, My Feminine Heart group who are in distant locations where they don't really have much local support. And, uh, and it's just a godsend that they have, that they have you and what My Feminine Heart offers, but, but uh, to not have that local support. You know, we have this uh, like embarrassment of riches here in Chicago of so much that's available. And that's what helped me move so quickly because I could get, uh, you know, so many people into my life, you know, just with what I was finding here in Chicago. And then with COVID, being able to reach out and get connected in a much broader basis as well. So, so it's been great. Yeah. And I, um, I can't wait to talk more about CGS and everything that the organization and, and you and your, your fellow volunteers have to offer when you come on next week. And another thing I'd like to really delve into when you're on the show again, when we're live, is you, you know, we, we did a teaser for it. You briefly mentioned that you had, um, you've not been able to do, you have not for various reasons done any medical intervention in transitioning to Susan. Uh, and that is due to some health issues that you had in the past. Right, right. And I know we'll talk more about that, but I have reasons for me that, uh, that that would not be the way to go. And and in all truthfulness, it goes beyond that. I have other personal reasons why I would not choose to have that be part of my path. But as I mentioned before, we all have a path, uh, hopefully, towards some type of reconciliation. 
I have in my mind what that means to me, which is reconciling my sense of self with what I can put out and, and my openness to the community around me. It doesn't have to involve uh, physical changes or medical intervention, I, I believe, for me to work toward that reconciliation. But as you mentioned, and we'll talk more about it, you know, there are health reasons for that as well that apply to me. And you know, that's an individual situation. Yes, but there are so many people out there who may share similar medical reasons or personal reasons that they're not pursuing hormones or surgery or things like that. But you have found, and all anyone needs to do is look at you to know that you live a healthy lifestyle. You've done things with your lifestyle that have enhanced the feminine part of your life and have, and have um, enhanced Susan. Right. And not to uh, minimize the uh, yoga practice that you're leading, that's a part of it. And uh, that was another great thing with COVID. You know, I mean, I hate to say there's anything great about that, but, but during COVID, you started that program and it's been an important element to work in. And as you know, I did have some background with yoga before, but- Well, your, your wife's quite the yogi, right? For a long time, she's been uh, practicing yoga and always encouraging me and got me into it, uh, not to the extent that she is, but then uh, when you had your January challenge, doing that on a daily basis was really an eye-opener. I mean, how much could be accomplished so quickly by uh, being that consistent about it? And there's a type of uh, sense of movement or flexibility that you know, I have a pretty wide-ranging uh, exercise regimen that I kind of, uh, you know, tailored for myself over the years. But, you know, there's something that yoga brings that nothing else can really take the place of. And yeah. you know that better than almost anybody. I do. I do. And so in your lifestyle of healthy movement, yoga, and then you've done some dietary things that, um, you know, I think will be really enlightening for our audience to hear and to ask questions on, you know, and again, we, you know, never say this is for everybody, but this is what has worked and helped you live your best, most authentic life. Right. Yeah, it's a great subject and we look forward to talking about it. And as you mentioned, it's it's an individual thing. I think everyone has to work out what works for them best. And, and it takes time to uh, you know develop that. And you know, but uh, but for me, I can't live my fullest uh, and uh, you know have the sense of vitality that I need to uh, you know to bring to my life unless I'm taking care of myself physically as much as possible. And you know, there's some other reasons in my background that I have a real focus on, you know, um, you know, knowing what, uh, you know, health setbacks can do to one's, uh, to one's life. And, uh, you know, so a sense of fit, physical fitness and vitality is central really to any path, you know, that I would be on. I couldn't be happy without that being a major part of it. Yeah. Well, Susan, thank you so much. I, it's been so lovely to hear part of your story and to be able to share that with our audience. You know, there are so many parts of you that is so special and so unique. And I hope that it encourages anybody who is listening to know that, you know, for 40 years in your marriage and, you know, even before, you were growing and you were working on you, but you were, you thought you were as comfortable as you needed to be until you took the next step. And then one step blossomed into another, into another. And I hope that for anybody listening, that it encourages them to have a public experience, make friends, step a little out of their comfort zone, uh, just enough to, you know, open their heart and their, their mind and body and spirit just a little bit uh, to help live their best life. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing that inspiration with us. Well, sure. Thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate that. And thank you for all that you're doing and for having me on. But I just appreciate what you're doing every week and how many people you're helping. And I don't know if you'll ever even realize how many 
you're helping in such a profound way. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And thank you everybody for listening. We're excited for you to tune in next week when Susan joins us live. We hope that all of our friends in My Feminine Heart and Chicago join us. And we are definitely gonna have some more discussions on Susan's life, volunteering, um, being the support of CGS and the healthy living that she has done to help you know Susan grow in the way that medically and personally has been the most comfortable for her. Thank you, everybody. We hope you have a beautiful week and we look forward to seeing you soon. Goodbye. Bye, thank you. Never miss a single podcast by signing up for our newsletter at myfeminineheart.com.